are in a new series talking about uh, the idea that we want to move beyond useless faith, and we are in the book of James in the Bible. And kind of the big idea of this series and, and of the book of James is that there's two kinds of faith. There's two kinds of faith. There's a faith that maybe you grew up with, a faith that maybe for some of you, you grew up in the church and and you've been kind of a part of faith or church or Christian stuff your whole life. And that's really familiar to you. It's something that you know the ins and outs of. It's you've read the Bible, you know the stories, you've uh, sang the songs, whatever. There's a kind of faith that is a faith that is very familiar that maybe you've been a part of. But some of you would say, and if you're honest, would say, maybe a lot of us would say, man, it's not actually that helpful, though. It hasn't been something that actually has changed my life. It hasn't been something that actually has transformed my life. It hasn't been something that I actually am able to say, man, life is different because of my faith. Faith is the central part of my life. Faith is the thing that that really gives life to all that I am and all that I do. And maybe for some of you, you're not a Christian or you're not sure what you believe or you're kind of experiencing things or discovering things and we're glad you're here. That's a big part of why this church exists. And and that might be the kind of faith that you were used to or that you even grew up with and and that you're kind of giving it a second shot and you're kind of like, man, man, I'll try it again. It hasn't really been helpful. It hasn't really changed much. But but that's kind of one kind of faith. And the book of James talks all about that kind of faith. He says in this book that we can have faith, we can have a kind of faith, but never actually be helped by it. Our life never actually be changed by it. That there's a type of faith we can have and say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I go to church and yet never actually be changed. And I don't want you to have faith. James doesn't want you to have faith. I want you to have the right kind of faith. I don't want you, I don't want our church to have faith. The book of James, he uses language over and over again about dead faith and a faith that doesn't work and a useless faith and a lifeless faith. I don't want you to have faith. And the book of James doesn't want you to have faith, but the right kind of faith, a different kind of faith. Because if faith is actually what the Bible says it is, if faith actually is real, it should have the power to transform everything in our lives. It, it wouldn't be the first kind of faith that is there, but in many ways just useless. And James doesn't want us to miss out on what kind of faith there actually is available. So that's kind of the big idea of what we are talking about in this series and in this book. And and the book of James begins where many of us find ourselves probably today. He begins where we are. And I I love this. I love that this is where he begins. He's a pastor writing this letter to, to the church. And I love that where he begins is where many of us find ourselves today. And that is that we are stressed out. Aren't you stressed? Some of you look stressed. Some of you don't look stressed, and it's, it's because you are just in a daze, and you just, you know. Um, no one actually looks like that that I'm looking at because uh, there's lights on me, and I can't really see you. But, but it, we're stressed, right? We're troubled. I mean, people are stressed and troubled. This is just uh, from the American Psychological Association, just a little infographic. It says, meet Max. Max is stressed to the max. Uh, cute, like Dr. Seuss for stressed out adults. Max is a lot like you and me. And this is uh, Max, and, and this just has some stats on stress. It says 76% of us are stressed about money. It's the number one thing that people say they are stressed about. Or 70% say our jobs are too stressful and we spend more time working than anything else. So 70% of you statistically uh, would say, man, my job is too stressful. 76% would say, I am stressed out about 
money. 55% of us experience stress in our relationships. 55% say, my relationships are stressful. And 45% of us are the reason that other people are stressed. If you're like, my relationships aren't stressful, everything is fine. People are stressed out about you. And then this one I love, 69% of parents say our stress doesn't affect our kids. So if you're a parent, you're stressed out, you're like, yeah, but it doesn't really affect my kids. 91% of kids say otherwise. So parents like, this doesn't affect anybody. Um, And 82% of us feel stress about personal health concerns, and many of these are stress-related, so it's cyclical. And then just some of the effects of this. This is the positive effects when you're relaxed, but I'm not going to read that to you because it'll probably stress you out more. But the, when your brain is stressed, you, your brain under chronic stress, parts of the brain actually shrink and atrophy. Negative thoughts start to kill off neurons and your mood becomes depressed, foggy, sluggish, anxious. Uh, decision-making, reasoning, and judgment are shut down. The oldest, most reflective structure in the brains are in control now, so you just kind of become uh, primitive. Powerful hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are prepping your body to fight, flight, flee, or freeze. If they continue being released, they start to damage your brain, heart, and other organs. So we are stressed out. We experience trouble in life, whether it's money or relationships or health concerns. It affects us negatively, both emotionally, physiologically. Maybe some of this is too sciencey for you, and so you just need to see something like this, which is, I love Mark Hamill, who is, you know, Luke Skywalker, posted this just like a, a few weeks ago. Me at the beginning of 2017, me at the end, or there's another one of those. that I love this one. Me at the beginning, me at the end. I don't even know where this picture, like, where would this happen where he's holding a mic and there's fire behind him? I, or one final one, this, you might feel like this. <laughs> I love that. I've seen, this is in Vegas, I think, or maybe it's in Denver. It's, it's, I've seen it in Vegas, this, like, Minnie Mouse smoking a cigarette, and I actually saw her with her head off, and um, it was like a scraggly old dude, you know, and he's like, that, that's Minnie Mouse. We finally know who Minnie Mouse is. And one final thing is stress isn't going away. The American Psychological Association reports that 42% say their stress has increased over the past five years. So a lot of you might think, man, it's stressful right now, but stuff's going to get better. It's not. It's going to get worse. And you might think, man, it's okay, but it's going to get worse. You know, happy, happy new year. Um, And then 61% say stress management is important to them. I'm going to get a hold of my stress. And 35% say they're doing a good job at managing their stress. James, the book of James starts here. The book of James starts with your stress and your troubles and the things in life that are difficult for you. And I love that because that is real. The Bible is so real. It speaks to the real things that are happening in our life. Because if faith, listen, if, if faith has nothing to say, if faith has nothing to say about the stress and the troubles that you're going through, I mean, none of you probably look at that and go, I'm not stressed. I have no troubles in life. Everything is great. I've got no relationship troubles, no money troubles, no, man, stuff is great for me. None of you think that, right? And if you do, we don't want you to be here. None of you believe that, right? We're all stressed. We're all in trouble. And so if faith has nothing to say to that, if faith has nothing to say to the real stress and trouble that we go through, then it's useless. 
it has nothing to say if it has nothing to speak to this, because this is where we find ourselves, and this is where James begins his letter. And here's what James says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't even list them. He doesn't even say what they are because he knows like you and like me, it's various kinds. It's all sorts of stuff. But this word to the 12 tribes in the dispersion is important. See, the idea of the dispersion is referring back to the time of when Israel was broken up into different tribes and then they all dispersed and spread out away from where their original home was. But now he's using this language to refer to the church, to refer to Christians. Because when this letter was written, what had happened is the church had gotten started, but then persecution came. And so people were forced to leave their homes and their cities and their jobs and their families, and they were forced to scatter because people were persecuting the church. And he uses a language of dispersion, referring back to Israel when they were all dispersed. He uses that to say, you are now the dispersion. You're the ones that have been forced from your homes. You're the ones that have been persecuted and left. And I love this, because here's what this says. If you are somebody that feels like man, I have, and maybe not just feels like, it actually has happened. I've left my home. I've been displaced. I'm away from friends. I'm away from family. Life's gotten harder now. Work has gotten harder now. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's going to happen. And it feels like people are pursuing me or against me. And life is difficult. James begins with saying, God sees you right there. And God cares about that. And God has something to say to people in that place. God has something to say to the people that feel like I've got no home and I'm on my own and I've been displaced. God has something to say to those people. And James says, whatever your various trials are, wherever you are, he starts off the book, not with a long intro, but just saying, look, you're in trouble. You're in stress. God sees that. And God wants to meet us. He wants to help us in our troubles. He wants to help us in our stress and be able to deal with that in a better way, to have a faith that can actually encounter that. And so how does that work? How does that happen? That's what we will look at today. And to, to begin, we have to understand this. What can our troubles do for us? What can our troubles do for us? What can our troubles do that actually benefit us? See, what is your trouble? Maybe it's the troubles that were listed on the screen of money or relationships. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's Maybe it's um, issues having to do with your job and your work, or maybe it's financial issues. What, what are the troubles that you are going through? And when we go through troubles, it often feels like they are taking from us. They're taking our joy. They're taking our energy. They're taking our relationships. They're taking our confidence. They, it feels like they take from us such that we then feel either angry or we feel sad or maybe just apathetic. Maybe the stress and the trouble that you're going through, it hasn't caused you to be angry and bitter and, or sad and crying. It's just caused you to just want to watch Netflix all the time. It's just caused you to be like, man, I just kind of want to shut down. See, our troubles and our stress often take from us. But in the very beginning, here's what James said. He says that they can actually, he says we're supposed to count it joy. He says we're supposed to count it joy, which is really weird, right? What does James know about troubles and stress and trials? What, what does he know about that that he says, hey, it's actually something that isn't just taking from you. It's actually something giving to you. 
And here's, here's what James says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces, it doesn't just take something from you, it does something for you, it gives something to you. You know that the testing of your faith, the troubles and the trials and the stress that you're going through, test your faith and it produces steadfastness or a consistency and a constancy. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. See, James says that here's what troubles can do for you. What what are the troubles you're going through right now? You know what James says? He says those troubles can give you a better faith. The troubles that you're going through right now, the stuff that's stressing you out right now, James says that can give you a deeper and a better faith. A faith that is steadfast. A faith that is consistent. Maybe the kind of faith that you dream of. Maybe the kind of faith that you look at in other people's lives and you go, I would love to have faith like that. I would love to have that kind of faith. James says, you know what your troubles can do for you? They can produce that kind of faith in you. Maybe the kind of faith that you actually had at one point in your life, whatever that high point in your life was for some of you. And you go, man, faith was alive to me and it was real to me. And James says, you know what your troubles can do? They can give you a faith that is deeper and better than you have now. Maybe the kind of faith that that you've never experienced and you've never even seen in other people, but you just know something in you. Maybe the Holy Spirit or something in you knows, man, faith should be more than this. James says, you want that? You know what your troubles can do for you? They can give you that kind of faith. They can give you a faith that you dream of and imagine. I mean, look at, look at what he says here. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. Listen, just listen to these words. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that what, isn't that what we all want? Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I mean, those words, isn't, isn't that to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We, we look for that in all sorts of things. We look for it in love of someone that will complete me. We, we, we look for it. We look for it just in ourselves and we tell ourselves, you're perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't lack anything. There's nothing wrong. I mean, we all want this result of perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James says, you know what your troubles can do for you? They can give you a faith. They can give you a faith that's the kind of faith that produces the kind of result that you and I want, that we all want. But this is important. It's not, faith is not what we often think that it is. Faith is not what we often think it is. See, what would be your definition of faith? James says that, f- that the troubles and the stress that you're going through can give you a deeper, better, perfected, steadfast faith that would be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. But what is faith? What's he talking about? Because when we think of faith, a lot of times we think of belief or hope. I just have faith it will work out, which would be synonymous with I just believe or I just have hope that it's going to happen. And and when we think of faith, oftentimes that's what we think. We think faith is this hope or just belief that, of just stuff. And we even compare faith and reason or faith and logic or faith and science because there's kind of rationality and then there's just kind of stupidity or just, you know, empty. I just believe. I have faith in faith even. 
just believe and just have faith. But that's not what faith is, biblically speaking. And that's not what James is talking about. He says it gives you a better faith. But you know what faith is when it talks about it in the Bible? It's not, faith is not just a thing. Faith is in a person. It's a confidence in a person. It's a knowledge of a person. It's, a, it's an understanding and a belief and a hope in a person. See, what James says is that the testing that you are going through, the troubles and the stress, whatever that is in your life right now, the various kinds, and it's usually not one thing, right? It's usually not one thing in your life. The troubles and the stress of various kinds, you know what that can do for you? It can help you to know God in a more pure way. It can help you to know God in a deeper way. In a, this is what steadfast is. It can help you to know God in a steadfast, no up and down way. It can help you to know God in a consistent way where you say, yes, I believe that God is for me. And that doesn't go up and down, it's steadfast. Your troubles can produce in you the kind of relationship, this is really what faith is, the kind of relationship with God, the kind of knowledge of God, the kind of confidence in God that isn't shaky, it's not up and down, it's steadfast, and it says, I, I know who He is. I know He's good, or I know He forgives, or I know He's present, or I know He's wise, and it's steadfast. James says this is what our troubles do for us. They purify the relationship. They purify what we know of God. This is true of all relationships that go through trouble. If you're married, and it's not even just true of marriage, it's true of um, if you just have close friends, but if, if you're married and you go through troubles, if you're married and you go through troubles and you make it through it, like sometimes you go through troubles and it ends it, but if, if you're married and, and you go through troubles and you make it through it, it purifies the relationship. You say, man, I know you more than I used to know you. We're stronger now than we used to be. And that's true if suffering comes into your life. It's true if sin comes into your life. I've known many couples who have uh, experienced adultery in their relationships and, and actually made it through it. And on the other side of that, they always say, man, I, our relationship is way stronger. Troubles always purify relationships. They always, they always increase and deepen and strengthen relationships or they end them. But what troubles have the power to do is purify the relationship with God that we have. They have the power to do that. I love the way that Joni Erickson Tata says this. She is a woman who was paralyzed in her youth in a diving accident. She's a quadriplegic now, and she also recently had breast cancer and has gone through tons of suffering in her life. Can't move, can barely, you know, she, I mean, she's experienced tons of suffering. But what she says is exactly what James says, that troubles purify her knowledge of God, her faith, her belief, her trust. It makes it more steadfast. And she says, the weaker I am, the harder I must lean on God's grace. And then the harder I lean on him, the stronger I discover him to be and the bolder my testimony to his grace. The harder I lean on him, when troubles push me, the more I have to lean on God the more I discover how strong he actually is. See, that's what trouble does. It helps you to discover who God actually is. That's what happens in your personal relationships. When you go through trouble, it helps you discover who the other person actually is. James says, this is what troubles 
can do for you. This is what God wants for you. Why does God allow troubles to come into your life? Why does God let troubles come into your life? Because God wants this for you. He wants to purify the relationship. He wants you to see who he actually is. He wants to bring you closer to him so you can actually see who he is. He wants you to actually see who he is. God doesn't want us to have a dry faith. He doesn't want us to have a dead faith. He doesn't want us to have a useless faith. He wants us to have a a faith that affects all of life and can touch all of life. God wants us to have a steadfast relationship with him such that it's able to encounter all the things that we encounter in life, whatever that would be. That's what God wants for us, and that's what troubles can do for us. They can change your faith so it's constant, so it's steadfast. So if you experience sickness or financial troubles or relationship troubles, that faith actually has something to do with that. Who you know God to be actually can change that experience. But in order for that to happen, we need troubles, and that's why we have them. That's what troubles can do for us. But how do we get the benefits of our troubles? Whatever it is you're going through right now, whether it's in your job or your relationships or your physical health, how can you get the benefits of the troubles that you're going through? Because here's what we often think. We often think like this. Life doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. This is me now. It's a wolf with a bunch of arrows in him, and the old me, it's a sad little wolf puppy. I'm sorry if this you know, hurts your feelings, with an arrow in him, and he's dead. Um, and it says, life doesn't get easier, you just get stronger. This is often how we believe trials work. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And there's songs about it, and Katy Perry, and Kelly Clarkson, they all help us, right? And, and we believe, and we roar, and we know that it's possible, <laughs> that life, <laughs> life doesn't get easier, you just get stronger, But is that actually true? You know, I can tell you this. I've known just as many people that have gone through troubles and stress in their life that it's made them worse than it's made them better. I know a lot of people who have gone through trouble and stress in their life and they come out of it and they're stronger and they're better and they roar, yes. But I know a lot of people that have gone through trouble and stress in their life and they become more shut down and they're not as vulnerable anymore and they isolate themselves and they they protect themselves and they're bitter, and they're wounded. I mean, to the max of this is what we have is PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome, which means, man, I've gone through something so hard, it didn't make me stronger. Man, it's actually crushed my life. See, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is true sometimes, but it's not always true. And you know this. Maybe you're somebody that says, yeah, man, it's not that life has made me stronger, the wounds and the hurts that I've gone through. It's made me more bitter. It's made me more closed off. It's made relationships more difficult. See, troubles do not automatically change you. They don't automatically give you a deeper faith. They don't automatically help you to know God and and become steadfast and become complete and perfect and lacking in nothing. They don't automatically do that. And if you are going through trouble right now or you are going through stress right now and you just think, man, it's going to make me stronger, It might not. It might really hurt you. It might really wound you. You might end up worse than better. But this helps us because it doesn't just tell us what troubles can do for us. It tells us how we can actually get these benefits. And and here's what James says is the next part. 
He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and again, this is not just, don't just isolate this passage. And if you've read this before and you like this passage, don't isolate it from what James is talking about, which is in the middle of your troubles and in the middle of your stress, in the middle of the various kinds of crap that you're going through. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded, or actually in the Greek, it's a double-souled man, unstable in all his ways. Now, here's what James says of how we get the benefits of our troubles. He says we ask for wisdom, but, but here's what he's talking about. In the middle of our troubles, the way we get the benefits, the whole idea of the asking for wisdom is a posture that in the middle of whatever you're going through comes to God and submits to God and says, I want you to speak into this. In the middle of whatever it is that's happening, James says, here's what you need. What you need is to go to God and submit to him and say, I want to be centered on you. I want to be centered on you. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be tossed back and forth. I'm coming to you, and in the middle of my trouble, I want you to speak into it. I want you to help me. I want to rely on you in the middle of this. But James says there's a type of faith that's divided. He says there's a type of faith that's double-minded, double-souled, and he uses the language of waves. See, this is, again, James, all throughout this book, is trying to help us see there's two different kinds of faith. There's a faith that you might have in a belief in God or an attendance at church or, or whatever it is in faith that you go, yep, that's there, but it's useless. And James says there's a type of faith that in the middle of trouble will go to God We'll talk to him. But he says it's actually double-souled. It's double-minded. And he uses the language of waves. And um, I was thinking about this. Uh, these are two Photoshop, or not Photoshop, but just stock image people, I think. Um, I don't, maybe you're here today. Wouldn't that be funny? Um, and then you would think I was really creepy. But uh, this, this is just a raft that my wife and I have that we bought, and we just kind of dink around in it in state park lakes. We don't fish or anything. We just sit in it. Um, so this is actually a good representation of what we do. Um, but it's, it's just a soft little raft. And so the wind blows it. The wind blows it, and we start off. I don't really want to work out that much, so I, I want to stay close to the shore because it's really hard to row. It's kind of heavy. Um, and so I want to be like five feet away from the shore so when we're done, we can just, you know, paddle back in. But if you don't do anything, the wind blows you. The wind, the waves carry you. And you end up, you know, we're talking and whatever, and then like, oh my gosh, we're, I don't even know how many feet, but we're really far. We're a lot of bicep pain away from the shore. That's how I measure <laughs> That's how I measure it. We're a lot of bicep pain from the shore right now. And the wind blows you, and it takes you where you do not plan to go. Because without any sort of anchor, without any sort of uh, thing that keeps you as a foundation, the waves, the things that come, James says, it will toss you or it will blow you to and fro. That you end up in a place that you weren't planning on going. You end up in a place that often you say, how did I get here? Have you ever in your life said, how did we get here? How did I get here? I would have never thought a year ago that I would be here today. I would have never thought six months ago that I would be here today. 
I never thought I could wander this far from God. I never thought that I would be in this place. I never thought these things would become so important to me. I never planned on this. And see, we bought an anchor, not like a giant pirate anchor. It's this stupid little thing that hardly works, but it helps a little bit. And it keeps the wind a little bit from blowing us. Because what James says, what James says is if you want the benefits of your troubles, you have to anchor yourself in God. You cannot be like a wave that is tossed to and fro. You cannot, and I love what James is saying because he's not saying this person is thinking in their mind that they hate God. He says they're double-minded. He says they're double-souled. It's the person that actually does go to God. If you are in the middle of your troubles and your stress and you say, I did go to God, I prayed to him. James says, that's who I'm talking about. Because it's the person that does that, but is actually double-souled. They're not really anchored in God. One time the wind blows them to God, and one time the wind blows them back to the other things in their life that are actually important to them, that they're actually anchored in, that actually is what the sound foundation on the center of their life is. James said that person is double-souled. Yes, part of their soul seems to go to God, and part of their soul is going over here, but if you want the benefits of your troubles, the person needs to have a purity that says, God, it's just you. I want you to speak into this. I want your help. I, I want my anchor in my life to be centered on you. And he uses, the, the next part of the passage, he uses money and financial issues as an example of this. It can apply to all sorts of things, but James knows back then, as is true today, that one of the big issues for us is money. And what he says is, let the lowly brother, that would be the person that doesn't have a lot of money, so if you're like, that's me, he's talking about, I'm the lowly brother. Well, here you go, brother or sister that's lowly. He says, let the lowly, the lowly, the lowly, uh, the lo I think that's a different language. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's saying, if you are somebody that's out of cash and you're lowly in this world and you're, you can boast, you can anchor in your exaltation, which is because you are found in Jesus, because you have a faith in Jesus, because you are in relationship with Jesus, you actually have a status and a significance that is way greater than your wealth. Let him boast in his exaltation. And the rich, if you're rich, if you're a Christian, you've got a ton of cash. You invested in Bitcoin. Congratulations, you know. Good job. He says, let the rich boast in his humiliation. Let the rich person actually not boast in his wealth and in his status, but let him boast in his humiliation, which is the fact that he's identified with Christ, the one that was crucified and died. And he gives a reason. He says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And this is very similar to the waves. He's saying, look, it'll come and it will go and you need an anchor. Because if your identity, if your significance is based on your wealth and you don't have any of it, you might feel really low. But if your significance is based on your wealth and the wind blows this way and now you have a lot of it, you might be really proud and arrogant. And so we all need to boast, if you're a Christian, in something else, in your humiliation, in your exaltation, which is in Christ, in his significance. You see, he says, look, what can your troubles do for you? They can give you a pure faith, but the only way to get the benefits of those troubles, the only way to get the benefits of your troubles 
is if you are anchoring yourself in Christ. And that's true with money, but it's true of all sorts of things. It's true of people's approval of you. It's true of all sorts of things. It's true of your success. It's true of people's respect of you. It's true of your plans and your health. If, if, if you have a different anchor, when the winds come, it will blow you to and fro or even toss you. And you might end up saying, how did I get here? And James says it's because you have a different anchor. And so what you need to do in your troubles is anchor in him. And again, this is not automatic. I think this is so important, especially for Christians, because a lot of times when we go through troubles, and look, I'm, I'm not naive. I know some of you, this is where you are right now. Going through troubles, going through stress. And you may even be saying to yourself, I know God is going to use this. I know God is going to work this out. I know God is working in my life. Maybe, but it's not automatic. It's not automatic. James says, yeah, God wants to use it, but you have to use it. You have to take an active approach. Look, at, I'm just going to show you, the text is going to be really small, but I just want to show you all the different parts in what we've looked at so far where James says, you have to fight. You have to use the trouble. You, it's not going to passively just make you stronger. You have to do something about it. You have to anchor in God. Here's all these things. It says, count it. See, that's a frame of mind that he says, in the middle of your various trials, you have to count it. Let it do this. Let him ask God. Let him ask in faith. Let the lowly brother boast. You see, all throughout the passage, he's saying you're going to go through troubles and they can be really useful for you, but it's not automatic. You have to engage with God and fight to anchor yourself in him and center yourself in him and drop the anchor down. If you don't, troubles might make you worse, not better. What are your troubles? What's troubling in life right now? Relationship issues, money issues, family issues. What are you stressed out about? Where have you been tempted to just escape? To just go, man, this is too much. Hopefully I come out on the other side of it. And what doesn't kills me makes me stronger. Hopefully, I'll just put my head down and God will do something. Where have you been tempted to just escape with alcohol or pornography or Netflix or whatever? Where have you been tempted to just say, I'm just going to let, hopefully this just passes by. You know what will happen if you do that? You won't get the kind of faith James is talking about. You won't get the kind of faith that is steadfast, that's perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. You won't get that. What will happen is what you will get, you put your head down and, and you just escape. Can I tell you what will happen? Almost without a doubt, what will happen if you do that is it will get better. It'll feel good for a minute, for a little bit. When life is stressful and life is hard and you are experiencing troubles and you put your head down and just try to escape, you know what's going to happen? It's going to get better for a little bit. It's going to get better for a little bit. It's going to feel better for a little bit. And you might even think you made the right decision. But over time, what's going to happen is you're not going to, you will not have done what James says of let it have its full effect. 
let, let steadfastness have its full effect. That way you can be perfect and complete. and la- You won't have a pure faith in God. See, the people that I know that have gone through marriage problems that then eject, they think, I made a right call. I made a right call, and it gets better for a minute. But the people I know that have said, this is really hard, but I'm going to let it have its full effect, and we're going to push in, and we're going to dig in. They come out on the other side saying, something's better about our relationship now. Something's more steadfast in our relationship now. And James says it's true with our faith in God. You want a kind of faith that is steadfast, that doesn't just go through ups and downs all the time, but is steadfast, is perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James says, here's what you need. You need troubles in your life. I know you don't want them, but you need them. But you don't just need them, you need to do something with them. In the middle of your troubles, you have to fight to anchor yourself in God. You have to fight to count it joy. You have to fight to center yourself in him. See, your trouble has a purpose. And it can be powerful. It can be a powerful thing in your life. But you have to anchor yourself in him. And this is the last thing we'll look at is how do we actually do that then? How do we anchor in him in the middle of our troubles? See, James says that we're all going through troubles of various kinds, but it can produce in you a deeper, more pure faith if you anchor in him. How do we do that then? How do we anchor in him? Because oftentimes what happens is trials come and we're drawn away from him. Trials come and we actually may even think bitter thoughts of God. We may wonder, man, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? And and we actually, in the middle of our trouble and stress, often draw ourselves away from God, not to God. And James James says this, he, he, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in a trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's just experiencing life with God, which is, God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted. So in the middle of your trials, you often start to feel drawn away from God. And he says, let no one say, I'm being tempted by God. This, God's doing this to me. God caused this to happen to me. This is God's fault. For God cannot be tempted with evil. God's not trying to do evil in your life. And God, evil doesn't tempt God, that God then wants to do evil to you. And he himself tempts no one, but each person. And this is very vivid and graphic, because James wants you to understand what's at the heart of often what happens in our troubles. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. He says, you know what happens oftentimes in the middle of your trials, instead of anchoring in God, what happens is something begins to take place in us where we turn against God. And we actually get drawn to other lovers. We get drawn to other lovers. We get lured to other lovers. We get enticed by other lovers. And we spiritually begin to have relations with those other lovers that actually then give birth to a child. And that child is sin. And that sin then gives birth to death. It's it's this gradual, slow process that we draw away from God. We begin in the middle of our trouble to be bitter towards God or not think of God or be angry with God. And then we begin to be drawn towards other things. And slowly, I love that he uses 
the ideas of sexuality and of pregnancy to say, look, this, this, it's a seed that begins to birth itself slowly. But eventually, the grandchild of wandering away from God is death in your life. Death, experiencing a lack of perfection, completion, lacking in nothing. Destruction. How do we anchor him in the middle of our troubles? It's difficult because we begin to be drawn to other lovers and other things and other desires. And James says, here's the antidote. Here's what you have to do to anchor yourself in him. That's going to happen to you. You're going to be tempted. Other things are going to appeal to your heart. He says, here's the antidote. Here's how you anchor yourself in him. Don't be deceived. When that siren call of other desires and other lovers are calling to you, you need to remember who God actually is. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. In the middle of your temptation, in the middle of your trials, one of the biggest battles is going to be what you actually think about God. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's not trying to take anything from you. He is good. He's giving to you. God's not trying to take from you. Don't, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be drawn away. God is good and is giving to you. And he says he's the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Light shows things as it actually is. Light show, In the dark, you might think something looks great, right? In the dark, you might think something looks amazing, and the light shows what actually is. The light reveals what the colors actually are and what's on the floor and if it's clean or not. He says, God is the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Meaning he doesn't change. Who he is is who he is and who he shows himself to be and what he's doing. It's not fickle. It doesn't change. Of his will, he brought us forth. That's talking about salvation, the gospel, the good news. God shows of his will, he brought us forth. He made us his children. By the word of truth, that's the gospel, the good news, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're the first of of what God is doing and what he wants to do in other people's lives. You see, the antidote or how we anchor in him in the middle of our troubles, even though we're drawn towards other lovers, he says is, don't be deceived. Or positively, remember the truth of who God actually is. And then he begins to show us by example how we do that. He says, don't be deceived. This is who God is. Don't be deceived. In the middle of your troubles and your trials, you have to anchor in him. And the way you do that is remember who he is. And that's why James gives us these verses saying he's the father of lights. He's good. He's every good. Every good thing you have in your life came from him. Every perfect thing you have in your life, it came from him. He is the father of lights. Look, he, is, he does not change. He does not change. If you thought God was good in your past, James is saying, he's not different from that. If you thought God did good things in your life in the past, he's saying, he hasn't changed. He is still the same. Look, you and I got a lot of fickle stuff in our life, right? Or at least I do. And we, we've got fickle people in our, fickle donut truck people in our life. We got fickle friends. We got, we got, you might have fickle, I mean, I was talking to somebody just today, you know, that they thought they had a new promotion at work, and then there was kind of some changes. I mean, we got fickle situations at work. We've got fickle friends. We got fickle family. We, we got fickleness all over the place, right? And James says about God, he is not like that. 
He does not change. He is like light that always reveals and is always the same and shows who he is. God doesn't waver. And and he's not just saying that in some abstract way. He's saying he is always for you. He is a giver that is always for you, always seeking to do good in your life. So when you begin to be deceived and drawn away to other lovers, the way you anchor yourself back in him, which is the way that you get a pure faith, which is the way that trouble actually produces something in your life. The way that you do that is to remember who he is, to rehearse, to recite, to remember this is who God is. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Obviously, that's especially true of his son, Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, and that's true of the relationships you have in your life, and it's true of great food that you taste, and it's true of all sorts, but it's true especially of Jesus. And that's where he goes because he says, he reminds us of our salvation. He says, look, God has done so much good in your life, and he's gifted you with so much, but you know what he's done? He chose you, and he saved you, and he made you his. He made you his. He is an undivided, God's the opposite of what James warns us of being. He's an undivided lover. He's an undivided father. He isn't sometimes for you, and then the wind blows him, and he's sometimes not for you. He isn't sometimes doing good in your life, and then sometimes he forgets that you exist. God is an undivided father for you, working to bring about good in your life. This is what it means to anchor in him. When we take communion, what we remember is this very fact that James talks about, that God is for us, that he's a giver, that he is constant, that he would go to show us how much he loves us by going to the cross and dying for our sins, even though we're double-souled, forgiving us, giving us life with him, giving us his righteousness, giving us his identity and significance that we can boast in, that he would do this his body broken, his blood shed to give us life, undivided for us. Your life is hard. I know that. You have stress. It's difficult. James says that's probably not going to go away. Statistics say that's probably not going to go away, but what if he's right? What if James is right that that can actually change you? It can actually purify you. It can actually give you perfection, completion, lacking in nothing. It can move you beyond a useless faith into something that you say, God, I know you more than I ever did. That's what James says is available. Look, nothing is actually more practical than this because we all are experiencing trouble and stress in our lives. Nothing's more practical than this. You're experiencing trouble and stress. The very simple message of what we're talking about, of what James says is you need to go to God and anchor in him. Don't try to escape it. Don't try to just not think about it. You need to go to God and say, I need you, you alone. And remember and rehearse who he is. And that just might be the key to unlocking a deeper joy and a deeper faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you see our troubles, that if we are people that identify with what James says, that we are dispersed, feeling persecuted, or away from home, or away from friends, or family, or we're just feeling that we are outcast in some way, that that you see it, you speak to it, you care about it, and you want us to know you in a deeper way. I thank you for that. You want us to know you. 
You want us to see who you really are. You don't want us to have a a half-hearted version of who you are. You want us to really know you so we can really experience the joy that you have for us. And so I pray, Lord, even as we sing these songs and take communion, that you would drive these truths deeper into our hearts. And for my friends here that are struggling and suffering and stressed, God, help us all to anchor in you, to know who you are. So as we sing, Lord, let the truth become vivid in our hearts. And as we taste and take communion, let us remember your grace, your goodness. Amen.